And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Here we go. It is Tuesday, October the 13th, and we are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here in the studio at World Headquarters in Kansas City in the heart of America. I have been called the hardest working man on YouTube. I am certainly not the most handsome man on YouTube, nor am I the most popular man on YouTube. And that's fine. I think uh, as we gain traction in our audience, uh, you know what they say about the nail that sticks up the hardest, the, the, the highest gets hit the hardest. So, welcome everybody. The live chat is open. Hello, Robert, in the chat. Good to see you. We also have an email address, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com, if you want to avail yourself of that communications pathway. Uh, we also have uh, the comment thread uh, for those of you who are watching or listening to this in replay mode. And uh, we do read all of the emails, we do read all the comments, uh, even the ones that come from those. Chinese spam bots. I have I have blocked so many of those channels. It is not even funny. Um, so so there we are. Uh, now today we don't have a guest today. We were going to have Rob Geronimo on because he is uh, launching today with his new. Uh, Indiegogo campaign, Wirehead, launched today. Uh, but we had uh, a scheduling issue we had to bump back, and so he will be with us next Tuesday. But I thought I'd go ahead and give him a shout-out. They launched today. It is currently funding over on Indiegogo if you are interested in horror comics. So there is that. And uh, we are doing a test... Trying something out, trying to make sure that the technology is going to cooperate with us. And do what? What do you mean I'm not? Oh, might help if I hit the go live button. That could help. See, I'm. You know, we still, we still. You know, every now and again, there's something, right? Something. Okay. Now let's try that. Okay, so for the people who are watching on Facebook, I don't know. It looks like it's, it's Facebook. Now it says I'm live? Okay. We'll see if it catches up or if it plays back from the beginning to buffer. Because we'll have to make a note that we have to hit the live, go live button on every channel uh, as, as we do this. So, um, all right. So we're going to let Mrs. Boss uh, monitor... Uh, monitor the Facebook channel. Uh, what we're looking for right now is uh, whether or not things buffer, uh, because now, right now, we are broadcasting live to both YouTube and Facebook. And the reason we're doing this, we are testing our equipment. We're testing the setup here, uh, the settings for the broadcast software that we use. We use OBS. And we're testing this because coming up on Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, we are going to be part of the Walking and Rolling Costumes virtual party, which is going to run the 16th through the 25th. And basically what this is going to be is a... Hang on. That's weird. Why is that doing that? 
Huh. So on Facebook, are you still seeing the coming up thing? You have all the sound, but not the picture. The picture over on Facebook still shows the live from the bunker standby coming up next slide. It should not. Why is it not? Hang on. Let's look this. Ha, now let's try that. Why is that? Okay. All right, so there are buttons that we have to push in, se in a certain sequence. So you should be seeing us soon. There it is. Okay. So there is a delay behind, uh, behind the Facebook feed. Okay, so now, <laughs> now we should be visible on both YouTube and Facebook. Yeah, I think. Are you see you're seeing us? You are frozen. Frozen. But, I've but you have sound. You have pic You have a a still picture, but no sound. But you have sound. Okay, YouTube, uh, Robert says there's no buffering on YouTube so far, so that's a good thing. So we'll see. I've changed my, uh, uh, to get technical here, a little inside baseball, I've changed my bit rate setting, uh, so it's a little higher. Hopefully that will, uh, that will compensate for the added, um, uh, the added data flow. But you're saying that, uh, you're saying that the thing, okay, hold on, let me do that. And now let me do that. Okay. Is that working now, maybe? Perhaps? Let's see. Um, those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, you probably are, uh, are wondering what's going on right now. <laughs> All right. So I see. Uh, do I see us moving? Are we see us moving? Okay. All right. I think I have this figured out. I'm going to have to make notes. Because this is a you know this is a test of technology. This is something that we're trying to trying to figure out because we have to have this thing figured out by Friday. Because uh, we are going to be doing the virtual party with walking and rolling costumes. We're going to be engineering. We are going to be master control for the show. And what that's going to involve is all of the engineering is going to happen here at uh, at Sci-Fi for Me headquarters. And uh, this is going to be uh, a show every night at, uh, at 7 o'clock Central uh, between the 16th and the 25th. We're going to be doing a bunch of stuff around what Walking and Rolling Costumes does, uh, their, their work as uh, you know, building costumes for kids in wheelchairs. And, and they're going to take a look at some of, the, some of the costumes that they've built in the past. They're going to talk to some of the families. And then on the 25th, Sunday, the 25th, we're going to do a live reveal of a brand new costume that's never been seen before. Uh, uh, there is there is a a uh, a kid that's going to get a brand new costume, and we're going to do that live reveal on Sunday the twenty fifth. So mark your calendars. Mark your calendars. Sunday the twenty fifth, seven p.m. But we are going to start on the sixteenth uh, with that virtual party. So uh, keep that in mind so we will see uh, how well that does and if i'm looking at the control panels correctly it looks like the video over on facebook is still moving okay so it's still moving for you it's still moving for me so that's i guess progress and i guess this is the this is the day to do it when we don't have a guest where we can sit here and we can finagle with the buttons and and figure out settings and whatnot but it looks like we've got it kind of sort of figured out. All right, so let's let's get into uh, a few things. Last night on the H2O podcast, Mr. Harvey and I were talking about the latest new interview with Alan Moore, talking about how uh, superhero movies have become a blight on our culture, according to Mr. Moore. Uh, and we had an interesting discussion. I think I think he's probably right and not right. Uh, I don't I don't know that it's hundred percent one way or the other um, and then of course tonight we've got a brand new salacious crumbs with all the latest Star Wars news McKenna is working on that now and we will have that at eight o'clock tonight live uh, that's the plan anyway uh, and then uh, like I said Rob Geronimo will be here next Tuesday tomorrow we will have author Alan Stroud as our guest so uh, uh, make a note of that okay so the big news Actually, there's a couple of things. 
Uh, where do we start? Cleopatra or or Axanar or Spider Man? Uh, Andy Signor over at uh, at Popcorn Planet dropping the news yesterday, and then he wrote an article over at Fandom Wire saying that he has confirmed that we are going to get three Spider-Mans in Spider-Man 3. Uh, he has, uh, he's got a source that's telling him that it is a for sure done deal that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield have already signed on the dotted line, and apparently this happened before uh, the information leaked about Jamie Foxx coming back as Electro. And according to Andy Signor, uh, Marvel is furious that that information got out. Uh, and apparently, uh, whether it was Jamie Foxx who did it or somebody did it on his behalf, it first, it first dropped on his Instagram account, and then it was deleted. But once that news came out, the speculation started going fast and furious all over the place, and now we have this news. Now, uh, to, to be uh, fair, uh, Grace Randolph is saying that it's not a done deal yet, that Tobey Maguire apparently is still holding out. So, mixed bag, take that for what it's worth. We don't know one way or the other, but uh, it looks like the multiverse aspects of this are really going to be coming into play here because... If that's true, uh, then you get to have uh, all of the different um, <clears throat> all of the different versions of characters from the various different uh, incarnations of Spider-Man. You can have all of the different versions of the villains that'll show up. So you can take you can pick and choose among which ones you're going to want as part of your Sinister Six mix. Uh, we do have word that there's going to be a Craven, uh, a Craven the Hunter solo film in development. We know about that one, and now so that that basically we have our six. Uh, we've got Electro, we've got uh, 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 Mysterio, we have the Vulture, we have uh, Sandman, we've got Doc Ock, we've got uh, two Green Goblins to choose from. So there, there's plenty now with Craven. Uh, there's plenty of of villains to choose from, from all of the different versions of the Spider-Man films. So I would think they're probably going to be setting up Sinister Six, and maybe that's back on the table for Sony. Maybe not necessarily the exact same one that they were developing before, but uh, we'll probably have something. And of course, that, that leaves open the possibility of an encounter with Venom, and then the question of whether or not Venom crosses over into the MCU or not. Now, with Doctor Strange now confirmed to be showing up in Spider-Man 3, uh, I'm going to say uh, somebody, I think Boss Logic put a poster out. Uh, it was It's a fan design. Uh, they were saying it would be kind of cool if you called it Spider-Man There's No Place Like Home because each, each Spider-Man has their own home. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, that's, that raises some interesting, interesting notions as far as what that story is going to be. Because if Grace Randolph is right and WandaVision splits the multiverse and then that plays out throughout Spider-Man 3 and then comes to a conclusion in Doctor Strange 2, uh, that doesn't give you a whole lot of story room uh, for maneuvering. You don't have a whole lot of time to develop that because, you know, you've got your series in WandaVision I doubt that the multiverse aspect of it is going to be the main thing, although it might. Uh, but then, if you're in Spider-Man 3, that's just a two-hour movie, and then you're in Doctor Strange 2 to wrap it up. That it, you, can do, you can do a lot in that time. I don't know if it's going to be enough, but we'll see. Uh, we get to speculate all we can until something actually comes out official. And, of course, you know, with the with the delays and release of what actually has been shot and edited and, and ready to go, like Black Widow, who knows when we're going to get Spider-Man 3. I mean, there are dates for some of these films, but there's no guarantee that anything's going to stay there uh, as scheduled at this point. A lot of it's going to depend on when theaters can open back up. So that's, that's going to present a challenge. 
All right. Now, speaking of challenges, this broke on Sunday. Gal Gadot posting over on Twitter that she and Patty Jenkins are going and and uh, is it is it Layla Leta Leta Caligridis, who is I believe Greek. Uh, she's a writer. She's written a number of uh, number of genre pictures, you know, genre scripts before. So she's not unfamiliar to our crowd. Uh, but Gal Gadot posts over here on Twitter that they are working on a new adaptation, a new movie focused on Cleopatra. And of course, it does not go without criticism. Now, Gal Gadot drew a little bit of fire when they first announced that she was going to be playing Wonder Woman, mainly because there are certain people who apparently hate Israel enough that anything coming out of Israel is automatically bad. There is the, you know, the fact that she's from Israel was a strike. The fact that she served in their military was a strike, even though it's mandatory. Um, so, there was that going into it, controversy, non-controversy, going into Wonder Woman. But of course, as as she has demonstrated, she is well suited for the part. She's done a a, a really good job with that role, and I think uh, most people have bought into the idea of Gal Gadot playing Wonder Woman. And of course, Wonder Woman is this big feminist icon, right? Girl power and all of that. Of course, she got a little criticism, Gal Gadot did, when they were trying to pigeonhole her in interviews and trying to play that girl power narrative like they were doing with Captain Marvel. And Gal was like, well, I'm hoping, you know, it's, this is not just for girls. I'm hoping that, that boys will enjoy the story too. And how dare she do that? Well, now she's going to be doing this take on Cleopatra. She's going to be playing Cleopatra. And of course, people are blowing a gasket because of that. And Data Racer 117 has, uh, has chronicled this uh, over on, on Twitter where he has been uh, collecting various different reactions from the usual suspects. And as much as I like to keep this channel PG-13 or better, some of these reactions are not. So having said that, going into this, I'm not going to read them all, but all of this is, I hate you, you need to die, uh, go choke, um, shut up, calling her a Zionist, uh, hating on her. And then, then you get... <sighs> The argument that Cleopatra, oh, here we go with whitewashing Cleopatra, the idea that Cleopatra was black. Let's look at that for a second. Because this question has come up several times before. And it, there was a big stink over it uh, in, when, when Ridley Scott did his movie, uh, gods and kings, Exodus, gods and kings, where, you know, Christian Bale plays Moses. And everyone's like, well, the Egyptians weren't white. Well, okay, no, they weren't. But they also weren't black. And there's, we've, we need to get over this notion. And this is, this is a psychological, political thing more than it is anything else, I think. This idea that white and black are your only two options. And they're not. Uh, you know, Latinos are not black. Uh, Asians are not black. People from the Middle East are not black. Nor are they white. There is not just, there is not an if-then, one, you know, ones and zeros on this. There, there, it is not that clean cut of a difference between Caucasians, European descent, and everybody else. It's this, it's a, it's, it's, it's a delineation that people make that they shouldn't because it's more nuanced than that. And a lot of, a lot of scholars 
have been studying this question for a number of years. This is not anything new, this controversy about what what did the Egyptians look like? Well, as best anybody can determine, and I've been looking at various different articles and, and, and documents on this this morning, as best as I can figure, the ancient Egyptians kind of looked like the Egyptians do today. Which is, you know, they're... Uh, they're darker than Caucasians. They're darker than the white guy. But they're, you know, there's a range just like with anybody else. Some of them are lighter. Some of them are darker. But if you look at the traditional, stereotypical Middle Eastern look, they are in between white and black. They're not as dark. They're not as light. They have their own identity. They have their own look. And because and, and it's a mix just like it is for anybody else. Some of it is geographic. Some of it's related to, to where they are on the planet and with regard to uh, the equatorial regions. There's, there's that, uh, that impact, that effect as well. Uh, but it says here, this is a this is an article. Uh, this is an article, in, and it's on Wikipedia, but it is locked, and it is heavily sourced and footnoted. So I'm I'm going to accept this for now as a fairly heavily researched academic paper. If you look here, all of the references there are over 200 references. And there are a number of sources uh, when it comes to this this article, and as you can see, it's it's locked. Now, ha- having it on Wikipedia, I'm going to say yes. There's a possibility that some of this is wrong. So that's that's where we're, that's our starting point. But this basically talks about uh, the origins of the disagreements regarding whether or not. You know, were Egyptians lighter skinned, darker skinned? Were they black? Were they white? Were they, you know, that. And it does get into the question of, you know, Tutankhamun and Cleopatra. Now, Cleopatra was Macedonian Greek. She was not Egyptian. Now, her family had had been in Egypt for a number of, for a number of of generations, but she is of Greek ancestry, and. That's not, to my knowledge, a darker-skinned uh, tone. So, and then here you even have this is this is CNN. DNA discovery reveals genetic history of ancient Egyptians, and this article goes into that they're pretty much what you would expect to find now. The Egyptians of old were kind of what they look like now. So it's, to me, this is one of those things where you have a non-controversy. You have people that are wanting to stir the pot because of reasons. And they're political uh, they are they are sociopolitical. Um, so let me look at here. Look here. Look at this. Um, now I'm going to go ahead and and not put that one up there, Robert, uh, because I don't I don't have anything in my research to speak to that. So. Uh, all right, so so th- this this notion here, and and the anger and the vitriol that comes out of the Twitterati, the blue check marks and and such, is a ridiculous uh, this ridiculous pattern of behavior, which we've seen in a number of places on a number of occasions over a number of topics. This idea that for whatever reason, uh, people seem to think that Twitter is the place for the tastemakers. And 
it's not just backlash as the media is reporting. This is hate. This is vile, despicable, unreasonable, irrational hate. And I think that it is hate for hate's sake. Let's find something to complain about. Let's gritch and gripe about it. Let us do everything that we can to try to sway the narrative in a way that is um, works to our favor. So we can control the we can control the horizontal. We can control the vertical. We can be the ones what in charge and. The people who like, and, and again, this goes back to something that I've said before, all right? This is not necessarily about left or right politics. This is not about right, red or blue, Democrat, Republican. This is about power and control. And you have a certain group of people, sociopolitical, ideological, ideological, I'll say it right, it is one of those things where there's a certain group of people who think that they should be able to control other people. And the way you control people is you divide them, is you get them fighting each other so you can then then direct that fight. You can, you can steer them toward each other, and then by the time they're done a- attacking each other, they're too weak to fight you. Um. Yeah, Mazarus in the chat. In my experience, you can't sell a hateful narrative forever. People get sick of it, but this one has admittedly gone on a while. It has, and I think it will for a, a while longer. I think um, the <clears throat> the idea that any particular group is better than another, uh, and and we've talked about the fact that there are a number of, of YouTube channels that... <clears throat> excuse me, that capitalize on the anger of the day, the anger of the moment. And some of that anger is justified when you look at some of the stuff that's been coming out of Hollywood and how those professionals have treated fans. There is a justified anger. But like like Mazur says, you can't sustain anger, rage bait, clickbait type of, of content. That's one of the reasons why we don't do it here. We don't hit, sit here and bash on Disney every day. We don't sit and bash on Star Wars every day. We're not going to sit there and find every single little thing wrong with every single thing. Because you can only do that for so long before it gets old. Uh, one of the reasons why I think the H2O podcast, for example, has gone almost, we've, we're almost to 250 episodes. We find various different things to talk about, and we're not complaining all the time. And this show, when it is not an interview with a guest, this is not, this is not a platform. I could very easily turn this into a one-hour rage fest and find all sorts of things to complain about and be angry about. And, and be hateful about and just bash on, you know, fill in the blank, pick your topic of the day. But it's not productive. Uh, Robert says, I'm touching on Malcolm X's central claims of Afro supremacy, a central tenet of Afro-American historiography. I think it'll finally emerge in popular culture. I don't know. Uh, that's that's not it's not something that I'm familiar with when it t- comes to to. Um, the history of ethnicities and cultures, admittedly, I am not up to speed on anything like that. When I'm, when I'm looking at things that are history, I'm, my, my thing has always been Civil War history. That's, that's been my area of, of interest. So I'm, I'm deficient in other, uh, in other aspects of that. Um, but you know this goes this goes toward Saul Alinsky, the rules for radicals. You divide people in order to keep them subdued. You divide them so they don't gain a certain amount of power. That you know you you decide. You know you foment and you encourage all of the neener 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 rage, and they are so focused on neener 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 against each other that they miss what you're doing. You know, it's right hand, left hand. You know, don't, 
You don't see what's going on over here. Pay no attention to the Alinskyite behind the curtain. It's, you know, you need to be looking at this. You need to be outraged about this. Don't, don't, don't look at that over there. Just be looking at this right here that I'm waving. I'm waving this red flag in front of you. Look, 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 look. Don't look over there. Don't look over there. Don't look here. And that's what's going on. And that goes on in a number of different places, a number of different, different uh, aspects of culture. It's not just in genre. It's not just in movies. It's not, you know, it's in comic books. It's in gaming. Um, you know, as much as people want to believe that Gamergate was about sexism, that narrative doesn't fit the actual facts of what happened. Because what gamer, what how Gamergate started, and actually how how Comicsgate started, and I'm on the periphery of this. Don't 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 misunderstand me. I have not been involved in either of these. I don't make comics. I don't play games. I don't write games. But from the outside looking in, as much as the as much as I've been able to do with the research, Gamergate started when people started questioning the ethics of the journalists that were covering the games and the fact that they were not disclosing relationships, whether financial or emotional, personal relationships, some in some cases, sexual relationships that the journalists were having with the game developers. There were some journalists that were financially invested in creating games, whether through crowdfunding or startups or something like that, and they weren't disclosing that information. They were not disclosing the fact that they had relationships with the people making the games they reviewed. That's where it started. Now, did it get hijacked at any point about the whole argument over sexism in gaming? Who knows? Maybe. But like we've said with, with other things before, there are professional victims out there who have learned that they can create a grift and make profit or at least capitalize on the anger and capitalize on the victimhood. We will always have professional victims. And I think that as long as we have social media, we will also have the rage cult, the cancel cult, the people that sit there and want to shut everybody down because they don't agree with X of the day. It's wrong. It's immature, as all get out. But... That's where we are. As long as social media continues to exist in its present form, we are going to have this kind of behavior because there are no consequences to this behavior. There's no consequences to the people that are spewing hate all over social media. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about left or right, black or white, up or down, fat, skinny. It doesn't matter. If you are behaving in this deplorable, despicable way and there are no consequences to it, then you get to keep doing that. And the fact that these social media platforms are allowing this to go on, it's a, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, these people are going to do this. And this is actually what Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act should should allow you know should protect for a, for lack of a better word because if people sit here and they bash on certain public figures they're going to get censored by the social media outlets they're going to get censored by Facebook they're going to get censored by Twitter but you get this kind of behavior on Twitter right here this is perfectly fine because you're attacking an Israelite you're attacking somebody from Israel, and not an Israelite, an Israeli. This kind of behavior is fine. Now, as much as I don't like this kind of behavior, this kind of behavior is what we're talking about when we talk about Section 230 and the fact that Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, any of these social media platforms should not be publishers. They are only there 
to provide a channel by which the individual user can communicate whatever message they want to communicate. When the platform starts to censor what you say, they are no longer a platform. They become a publisher and they, they don't have the same protections. And that's the big argument right now. That's the big debate that's going on right now with social media. You get people that are behaving like this. It is an argument because people say, hey, Twitter, why are you allowing this to go on? Why are you allowing the, the minor attracted people, uh, minor attracted persons to still have accounts? Why are you allowing the white supremacists? Why are you allowing the who's who, what's it, was it, what's it, was it? Well, if they hold to the letter of Section 230, then as long as you're not calling for anything illegal or, you know, insurrection against the government or whatever, you know, there are certain lines that are defined in, in law that would apply, but Facebook and, and Twitter should be allowed to let you post whatever you post. Any kind of censorship on social media turns the social media platform into a publisher. And you can't have it both ways. And as much as this behavior here, as much as this attack on Gal Gadot is despicable and reprehensible, it's also something that if, if, if we're to be consistent and say, you're either a platform or you're a publisher. So either anything could get posted within, within certain reasonable limits, legal, legally defined limits, or you can censor whatever it is that you want to censor. But you can't have it both ways. And you can't have it either way for either side. It's got to be consistent all the way across the board. But this kind of attack on Gal Gadot, just because she's going to be playing Cleopatra, is absolutely ridiculous. And it is... It is another... Another piece of evidence that society as a whole has a lot of growing up to do. And, and I think the social media platforms as they stand now have encouraged this kind of radicalization of, of anger and vitriol because there are no consequences. Anybody can hide behind a username and an avatar and you say whatever you want and you don't pay a price for it. And I think that needs to change. And I think that a real hard look at Section 230 is, is a good place to start. But this is just another example of the cancel cult deciding that they're going to go whatever, do whatever they want and, and parade around uh, as, as, as if they have the moral high ground. When they don't, they're just being they're just being despicable persons. <coughs> All right. Speaking of, let's do let's do this other this other thing here. Um, got a thing from Carlos Pedraza over at Axomonitor with regard to uh, the Axonar project that is never going to get finished let let's let's start that let's start that now what did you see this mrs boss so okay so so in the live chat we have the option every now and again uh we have the option the the live chat will hold certain comments that we can get um you know we, we could monitor our the chats right have you seen, so Mazerus just posted here and it got held, like and subscribe. Why in the world would it, would it hold that one? I don't know. Robert says, I think you're dramatically 
very dramatically underestimating the links between African-American culture, its 19th century claims Egyptians were black, and modern anti-Semitism. No, I, 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 totally, I totally get that there's, there's that connection. Um, I don't think that's what, I don't think that's all of what this is. I don't think, I, I, I don't know that Egyptians were black is so much a, 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 an Afrocentric thing, although I think that plays into it. But I am I'm not qualified to comment one way or the other. Um, but the anti-Semitism uh, against Israel is not just restricted and limited to uh, how we see uh, the the people of the Middle East. the 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 anti-Semitism is not limited to them. It it is it is a broad uh, a broad problem uh, we, that we even see here in America. You know, with with certain certain political groups uh, taking a stance against Israel. So it I I think there's more to it than just that. Uh, but I, you know, again, I'm not qualified to speak to that kind of thing. I, I, it is not something that I've studied, so I'm not going to claim any kind of uh, uh, random expertise where I don't have any. But you know, you you could be making, you could be, you could have a good point there. Uh, the the, but also as we've seen with things like the 1619 project, that. A lot of uh, there are there are some things out there having to do with race that are not necessarily true as they are presented. So hard to say where where all of that comes down. I just think that that particular you know speaking to the the particular attacks on Gal Gadot and and that kind of behavior, I think there's a lot more to that story. And as things play out, we'll see whether or not this ugly behavior continues, I'm pretty sure that it will. Uh, and yes, Mazer, it is weird that that would hold that comment. It usually doesn't uh, do that kind of thing. Drunk3PO in the chat. Hello, sir. Uh, the, the things are good here. Um, we're talking about Wonder Woman. We're talking about Gal Gadot being too white to play Cleopatra. <coughs> so, um... Uh, and by the way, Drunk3PO just dropped a teaser for his new fan film, Star, uh, a Star Wars fan film, The Other Grandchild, I think is what it's called. Is that what it's called? So that's uh, that's going in there. And I do have the last remains of my candy corn. I do have my candy corn here handy. Uh, so that's going on. All right, so yes, check out Drunk3PO's channel. He's got uh, He's got a new teaser for a fan film they're working on over there. Uh, so, uh, he's got a good, he's got a good thing going and, uh, uh, he's got, uh, the Star Trek, the Star Trek watch party that he does with, uh, Anna, that Star Wars girl on Wednesday nights. So, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll plug his channel there a little bit. So anyway, um, okay. So let's, let's switch gears. And this is, this is a real 180 gear shift on this because, uh, Axonar doesn't really have anything uh, to uh, to do with Cleopatra, but we do have these reports now. There is battles. There's battles going on. There are battles going on about uh, about Axonar. I don't think Axonar is ever going to get done. It's been four years since the lawsuit with CBS and um, a candy corn live stream. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be there. You just let me know where and when. Um, but yeah, we're going to have uh, four years now since CBS sued the Axonar Project, and we still don't have Axonar Project. And there are all sorts of legal battles going on between Alec Peters and the various different people who have been directors on this thing. They've lost three now, Paul Jenkins being the most recent one, who has been sued and is now countersuing Alec Peters for defamation. Uh, because of things what went on, and uh, it's one of those things where it just—I don't think this is ever going to get done. But Alec Peters has admitted in a live stream on Monday that some of the money that they've been raising on more on more recent 
crowdfunding projects. They continue to do these crowdfunding projects after crowdfunding project after crowdfunding project after crowdfunding project. And now Alec Peters has admitted in a, in a live stream he did on, on Monday that some of that money he's putting back in his pocket to cover his expenses that he's paid out to try to get this thing with Aries Studio and all this other stuff. The, there, is, uh, there is also the accusation, uh, the allegation that Peters is playing out, is drawing out, is stretching out uh, the production to make it look like they're making progress when they actually aren't. So there is a, there is an allegation now that that Peters is basically lying about how far they've gotten on this project. And after four years and you know the decision now that you can only do two 15 minute films, you would think that they'd at least have one of them done. And they don't. And they continue to go out and they shoot pieces and, and we get little hints and, and bibs and bobs. But there is no evidence, there's no credible evidence anyway, that Axanar is any closer to being finished now than it was four years ago. Uh, there is a set. We've seen the photographs. We've seen video from the set, you know, the Bridge of the Aries. But we haven't actually seen any footage of any new stuff that's been shot, the 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 teasers and the different things that we've gotten are using CGI elements that have existed since the since the prelude to Axanar. We don't ha we haven't seen anything new. And my personal opinion, I will preface that I, I'll I'll make it very clear. My personal opinion is that Axanar is never going to be finished, and. From what I've been able to gather, it's very possible, I don't know how likely it is, and I don't know how accurate this, this estimate is, but it's possible that Axanar was never going to be finished, that Peters never intended to finish it. This could all be a giant grift to build Ares Studios, for all we know. Now, I'm not saying that it is or isn't, I don't know. But you could make that argument based on what we do see, based on what we do know, the speculation is there that maybe you, maybe they never wanted to do that. I don't know. Prelude to Axanar, the, the actual fan film that they did put together, it actually is a, a really impressive piece of work. Don't get me wrong. I, I liked it. I think it's a really good piece of, of fan fiction. But it is fan fiction. And a lot of these people that are sitting there saying, well, CBS should hire the Axonar people. It doesn't work that way. Not, not 100% of the time. There are exceptions. But at the end of the day, the fan film is a fan film. And... You know, for pre for every prelude to Axanar and and uh, Star Trek continues and Star Trek Phase Two, you've got all of these other fan films out there that are not all that great, that are clearly using uh, low grade technology. They're doing it for the love of doing it. I don't think Alec Peters is doing this because he loves Star Trek. That's a that's an impression that I get. That's my personal opinion. It is an observation based on what I've seen. Uh, RJ Critical Blast, yes, I have seen the, the Trek the Vote thing. Uh, we talked about it two weeks, has it been two weeks now? Two weeks ago, we did a, we did a show on the Trek the Vote. And yes, as I predicted, it is very clear that Trek the Vote is not nonpartisan, as they claim. Because, uh, as soon as, as soon as you had that out, maybe, maybe not even a week, and they're doing a big uh, campaign fundraiser for Biden. So they're not nonpartisan. And as we went through, when we looked at all of the various different organizations that they were connected with, uh, it was pretty clear from the very beginning that they were not going to be nonpartisan. Because I guess for the left, nonpartisan means something different. 
<coughs> excuse me. Uh, Robert says, Axanar was always fundamentally flawed. Roddenberry's Star Trek had a pacifist streak, and Axanar's foreground, a battle that was always left in the background of the original series. Um, yes and no. Uh, I, I, I will agree with you to a point. I think uh, that the show, you look at the, the, the early descriptions of being wagon trained to the stars, it does leave open the possibility of conflict, and you you do have that with the Klingons and with the Romulans. Um, I I also think Roddenberry probably knew, and this is a guess on my part, this is total speculation on my part, but Roddenberry probably knew that if you did a war movie, a war series at that time, it probably would not have gone over as well. Uh, because you consider we were in the middle of Vietnam, uh, we had we had you know we still we still had conflict going on in Korea. Uh, the Cold War was was going. You had the space race, and that was that was going on. So I don't if if the original series had been focused on like say the Romulan War, it might not have played out as as much. Uh, I think uh, I think Roddenberry very smartly made the show aspirational. Let's go explore. Let's go see what's out there. Uh, and I think that works to its to its benefit. But the the mention of Garth and his, you know, the Battle of Axanar, it it's world building, and I don't think you necessarily ever have to see that to to know anything about it because they they also mention war, you know, World War Three, our nuclear war that we haven't had yet. Uh, so that that plays into the world building aspects of the show, and it gives it a a, a, a dynamism. It gives it a a, a depth, some more development. Uh, so uh, it's it's one of those things that uh, if the climate, if the cultural climate had been different, maybe uh, you might have done a series like that in the seventies because you had you had Black Sheep Squadron, you had Rat Patrol, you had. Um, uh, well, the John Wayne movie, The Green Berets, which was shot right in the middle of when Star Trek was going on because George Takei went over there and did that. So there were places where you had the war footing, the war stories, uh, but they were limited. And at, at that point, they weren't, uh, there weren't a whole lot of them. I think, I think Black Sheep Squadron and Rat Patrol were probably the only ones that were out there at that point. MASH, yeah. Um, but again... You know that you know Mash was Mash was a comedy, but it was also a commentary on a number of different things, not just the Korean War. Uh, and, and yeah, Mazers, I think you're right. I think we, our generation, probably learned a little bit more about that. But I also, to be fair, that's been now sixty years, and uh, if if you have uh, you know generations now you have 9-11 as a as a touch point historically you have the first iraq war as a touch point so various different places in history where every every generation has an a vietnam type event it doesn't necessarily play out that way but you have this 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 conflict that defines a generation. You have the World War II generation. You have the you have the Korean the Korean conflict. You have Vietnam. You have nine uh, eleven. You have the Iraq War. You know the Gulf War. You have um, you know ISIS and and all of that. So all of these different things kind of play out generationally. Uh, so if you had that, I mean, because you saw with Deep Space Nine. You had a war story in Deep Space Nine, but they had to earn it. Uh, they couldn't start there. And as the show progressed and as it played out, then you have, you know, then you can tell you, you've earned the trust of the audience and they'll go with you when you now start to play that war story. Um, but yeah, I think I think if you if you were to do an Axanar, a, a, a series about the Battle of Axanar, one, it would be a limited series because <clears throat> you'd have to, you know, with with battles in space, you're spending a lot of money. 
So it would it would more than likely be a limited series no matter what it was, whether it's streaming or it's a, a movie or whatever. But the other thing is I don't think the I don't think the interest is there. I don't think the audience is there. You don't have a whole lot of people clamoring for the Axonar story. Um, you've got the people that are really gung-ho bought into Alec Peters project. But a lot of those are falling away. A lot of people are are frustrated with that. And Peters himself is is demonstrating a tendency to not be reliable, let's say. Um so I think uh I think you're gonna see probably in the next year or two, maybe not even that long, uh, there will be no Axnar. That'll that at some point will become official that we just we just run into so many obstacles we can't do it, and you know the fact that he's selling Axonar merchandise, which might or might not be a violation of their agreement uh, with CBS with set in in the settlement. I don't know I don't know all the details of the settlement, but that might be at least skating the skating the edge there. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think Axonar is ever going to happen. Um, and if you had the Battle of Axonar group, the people that made that, then I might be looking forward to the new Axonar minis. But I don't have any interest in. It. I, I, you know, Alec, Alec Peters' behavior has been such that it is. He's he's turned aw- he's turned off and turned away and alienated so many different people that are involved in this project that had been involved in the project uh, that it's it's pretty clear that he, he's not. He, I have to be careful about this stuff because I don't want to I don't want to open myself up to uh, anything. This is this is an opinion. I want to make that clear. This is just me observing from the outside. I don't have any insider information. I don't have any, you know, I don't have any scoops. I don't have any tea to spill. But this is an impression that Peters seems like somebody who is just doing things for Peters. He's doing things for Alec Peters. And it doesn't, and this is, he's got a history of this and it's been documented. So, again, I don't think. I don't think Axonar is ever, ever going to happen. So, so there's that. Look at that. We've gone an hour. I managed, I managed to talk my way through an hour. How is that, uh, how's that looking over on Facebook? We still looking good? We still moving? No buffering? Nobody's, nobody's any buffering anywhere? Look at that. I think we finally figured it out. And you know what? It takes uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different windows to make it work. <laughs> six different browser windows. Uh, huh? Yeah, I got, I got to write it all down to, to figure, okay, this has to happen before this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, because it's one of those things where, um, <clears throat> you know, we... We figure it out as we're as we're learning this kind of thing. We're 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 you know for a number of projects that I have done over the years, it has involved taking a certain piece of technology that I know it can do this. I know it can do X. Now let's see if we can make it do green. You know, it's it's okay. This is what I have. This is what I have to do. Now let's take what I have, the resources that I have available, and make it do what I need it to do. And it's that process of figuring out how do I take X and turn it into green that usually involves some hiccups and some steps involved. And, and I, you know, hit or miss, we, we figure it out and, you know, we get there eventually. But it looks like we've got it figured out. So we've got, right now we're broadcasting to both YouTube and Facebook and it looks like the signal is going through. And yeah, yeah RJ says streaming alchemy. No, it's just my job is uh, alchemy, yes, it is alchemy. We are making things, we're making stuff and things out of nothings. 
So, uh, so it looks like it's working. So thank you very much, all of you, for being part of this experiment because, the, the, you know, you also have to deal with the consequences of my testing technology as well. So hopefully it's, uh, it's all gone according to plan. So that means that uh, we will be able to do um, <clears throat> some things with, uh, with the walking and rolling technology. Uh, uh, the walking and rolling event. Let me pull that back up here one last time so everybody has that and you can see it. Uh, and we will tell people about it one last time. October 16th is when this starts. Uh, and you can go to walkandrolling.org uh, slash VP2020 and that's where the virtual party is. They're also on Facebook, walking and rolling costumes. No G's. walkandrolling.org and you can get all the details on how you can participate in the party, how you can how you can support them, how you can donate your time, donate for race, uh, uh, resources. And uh, yes, Mazers, I did see that. We got a, I got a, I actually got an email from uh, from somebody talking about that on the restructuring of Disney. Uh, and I think we definitely will touch on that in the Ranker Pit uh, on Friday night. So. Uh, yeah, the, for good or ill, uh, Disney is following what everybody else is doing. So we're streaming. Streaming is the next thing. Streaming is the next big thing. We're going to focus everything on streaming. Uh, and they're kind of hamstrung, really, uh, Disney is, because a lot of their money is invested in theme parks and movies, and you can't do anything with that. The cruise lines and the resorts. And what do you do when all of that gets shut down by the various different government entities and agencies, you know, mayors and, 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 um, you know, uh, branches of government and agencies and organizations and, and governors and legislature, all, all, all of this stuff that's been going on to shut all of this down has real world consequences. And you, it's like we do here. It's like we talk about here, the abort or pivot point. You have to reevaluate what you're doing. You sit there and say, okay, do we continue doing X? Do we continue doing this thing we've done all this time? Or do we make an adjustment? Do we shut it down? Do we, do we pivot and figure out some other thing to do? So that's, that's I think, what Disney is facing, but uh, uh, not just them. I think a lot, of, a lot of companies are having to look at that. But, yeah, we'll definitely uh, have that on the on the docket for discussion at some point. More than likely, it will come up in Ranker Pit. We may look at it over on H2O at some point. I don't know. I need to talk to Tim about it. Also, mark your calendars for October 31st. We've got a new show that's making a debut there, uh, and it is going to be horror-related. So I uh, want, uh, want you to keep an eye on that. I don't have a time yet. We're, we're still working on the details, but October 31st, we've got a new show debuting. And then, like I said, the 16th through the 25th, we'll be at the virtual party for walking and rolling costumes. They make costumes for kids in wheelchairs. It is a worthy cause. They're based here in the Kansas City area. And uh, they have people building costumes all over the country, uh, volunteers and, uh, and people that donate their time, people that donate uh, various different resources to do this. So we're going to be doing this. We're going to be taking a look at some of the different costumes that they've made over the years, talking to the families and doing a, a, a reveal uh, on Sunday the 25th on live broadcast. All, all of this is going to be live shows. And we will do a reveal of a brand new costume that's just been built for a, a special needs kid uh, on Sunday the 25th. So we hope you will uh, join us for all of that. And uh, with that, let me do a little bit of business here. SuperheroStuff.com. You get a 10% discount when you use the promo code SciFi for me 10 when you check out. That can be used in combination with other offers. And if you would like a, uh, a SciFi for me sticker that looks like this, it's nice. Nice quality sticker. You can send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. Or if you have something you want us to review, uh, a book or a movie or something, you can send it to Sci-Fi for Me at 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. And for anybody that's looking to dox us, that is not our 
physical address. That's an off-site address. So we're trying to be a little careful here. Don't want Twitter to come after us. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for watching. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow we have Alan Stroud in here to talk about his new book. And tonight, brand new salacious crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. And uh, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And... Uh, uh, hit the like button on your way out. Feel free to share this or any of the other videos that we've got. And we will be back tomorrow with more Live from the Bunker. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.